Hello, everyone. It's Tracy here with the Everybody Counts podcast on SoManyShows.com. We have a special interview edition of the podcast this evening. We have an interview with Henrik Baston, the CEO of Fobble Entertainment, which is the production company for Bosch Legacy. Henrik has been with the Bosch series from its inception. He has so much passion for the Bosch universe and a ton of knowledge to share. So let's get right into it. Good morning or good day. Hello. Good good morning to you there. It's nice to see you again. So tell me a little bit first about the name of, of the new production company, Fobble. Swedish, which, uh, but, and it actually me- has the same meaning as fable here in the U.S. Oh, so okay. it me- means, means a, you know, story often tell like big and often with animals. And that's why we have the fox tail. Like mm-hmm. usually, at least in Swedish tradition, the fox is very, fox and owls are very much present in fables when you tell those kind of stories. Yes. Okay. And so it's another, like, actually, we came up with this, talked about the fox, fox, we have the fox tail animated in our logo but then it's interesting that the owl is such a big present because the owl is michael's symbol for hieronymus right so that you know i like to think that that was thought out but it wasn't but it's it's a cool thing that the, the fox and the owl are present so that and it's it just like if it, we want the previous company that i had that also produced bosch was called fabrique which was mm-hmm. factory in swedish so like okay. kind of, it's just been fun playing with words starting with fa and that has a meaning that is close in swedish and english that's so that's the yeah. background for the name okay very cool yeah i've been curious about that so that that's yeah. really helpful so speaking of bosch and bosch legacy what are some of the most important things you considered when transitioning Bosch to Bosch Legacy? Well, I think, you know, the challenge we had was that Freebie, Amazon Freebie, when they, so to speak, continued it or took it over from Amazon Prime was to make it distinctly its own show, not just like do a, an eighth season that it, we needed to change some things. And then right. at the same time, we needed to be respectful about the, built-in audience we had like many and long discussions what do we change and especially like you know, taking a step back usually when you do in tv language called a spin-off it's usually that you don't bring with the main character here we actually we brought the main character from the show but we're still creating somewhat of a new show so we had many conversations about how much to tweak how to tweak it and i think what we kind of landed in is that when we did the first adaptation from Michael's books to TV show, uh-huh. we also had to tweak some things, but we tried to be mindful about what does people love about Michael books? What like evokes these reaction, the same reaction I had when I read Michael's books, like uh-huh. the love for LA, that kind of quiet silence, that har- silence about him that Harry Bosch carries himself with the, the ethos and everybody counts. Those were the main things. And then very much to Michael's encouragement, like we need to change stuff as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's how we approached it. I think the biggest difference from a, and Tom could probably talk about this from a writing perspective, but also then in, in execution is that we have now three main protagonists. We have Maddie and we have Money Chandler 
and we have Bosch and they kind of split screen time equally. Mm -hmm. So it was about writing very distinct storylines for three main characters. Uh, I think that was the biggest challenge, the biggest thing to wrap his head around. And also tonally, I think like we use music much more now in, in the original Bosch, it, you know, we very much refrain from putting score on things to emphasize feelings here i think we have started using that a bit more and it really works well i think we also talked a lot about like los angeles so much has happened in la over the last couple of years with homelessness you know policing in in broad terms uh mm -hmm. the judicial system and stuff like that's so, like how do we reflect that and i think that's a big part of we're not a big part but that's mostly visible in in maddie's uh job as a young cop in, sure. in a still very male organization that you know certainly has its issues but also trying to do the best they can with all the problems that comes that i think being a cop 24 like whatever you do you have someone filming you and you mm -hmm. have to be mindful about that right so I, I you know again very broad strokes this is i think where we sat down the like those first couple of weeks and started discussing it and then very organically it came and i also i am a firm believer in gradual changes like i think hopefully if bosch legacy gets to live as long as the original bosch show did i think the last couple of seasons will also be different than what we're seeing now just as the first season of bosch uh -huh. was to a certain degree different in its storytelling and the characters than the first season the first season of Bosch was very centric about Harry Harry was right. in every scene more or less and then we realized that a from a production perspective and not break Titus's back we couldn't mm -hmm. sustain that and also we found that we had wonderful actors in Jamie Hector and Lance Reddick and and Mimi so we started writing to those and I think that's what we're going to see happening you know Again, Denise Sanchez, who plays Maddie's training officer, fantastic actress. And I, yeah. was, I, I met her at the Brat party and I said to her, she did exactly the same thing that Jamie Hector did as an actor. Both of them came in in roles that was written. They could have been ranging from a couple of episodes to a season, but we didn't mm -hmm. have like a grand plan for, you know, Jay Edgar in the books is a very different character than the one that Jay Edgar became in our show. He wasn't that fleshed out. He kind of disappears from Harry Bosch. But Jamie Hector just came in and acted, excuse my French, the shit out of that. And yeah. the same thing has Denise done. Like, we didn't have a big plan for that character. But through her acting in season one and her interaction with Madison, we just looked at season one. It's like, we got to find a way for her to keep being in Maddie's yeah. life. Same thing yeah. with Stephen Chang. Like, you know, we didn't know if that computer guy was going to be... Harry's confidant or stuff like that, but Stephen Chang and Denise D is like, yeah, walked on set and just blew us away. And so now we write to them. And I think yeah. the show will evolve. Like we will have more characters down the road. Okay. Yeah. Well, you touched on this and you, so you've answered it a little bit, but one thing I was going to talk to you about was what you hope to accomplish with the Mo character, Raina and and marty even with honey sort of structurally like I, I hear what you have to say about what they brought to the role and how that may have shifted things but did you have anything in mind like framework or structurally um, no i, for those I characters? think you know a that really comes season per season with what's main story we pick from like where where do we land especially in this it's it, like on the traditional boss show it 
we almost every time had a new Bosch book that we went into. Mm -hmm. If it was an old book that we hadn't exploited, so to right. speak. Yeah. We were like, oh, this case from, you know, the, the the crossing is this season, but Concrete Blonde, whatever, we can take the A case and that was became the centric Bosch case. And then all the other characters kind of, their storylines spun off in a version from that. Here's different A because we are pretty fast catching up on the book mm -hmm. universe, but also expanding it. So I think the only thing I think I'm certain of at this point is that we will probably get to know these characters on a more personal note. Yeah, I than hope so. just in their working profession. Uh, right. Just as what happened with Lance and and money, and especially Jamie Hector or Jay mm -hmm. Edgar in the, in the in the Mothership series, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the only thing we know that they will get more and more fully realized as characters. Yeah, and okay. just serving a plot purpose or okay. a character purpose for someone else. Okay, and obviously there's no replacing a Jay Edgar and and, and other characters from from the original. But was there any idea of that that you they needed each character kind of needed someone to play off of in their environment? Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. We talked about this the other day. I think like if you if you would have put a grid now in hindsight over mm -hmm. the series, you see you have and this is classic in book writing or in any type of like dramatization. You have like a main character, a protagonist or an antagonist, and then you have okay, what does Lance Reddick represent? Well both a nemesis, but also to a certain degree, a political player that Harry can use or bump uh -huh. into. You have Money Chandler that is the frenemy, like, you know, they bump uh -huh. heads, but they also, again, can help each other and they are forced to join forces, although uh -huh. they're goals might be the same their ways of approaching it jamie hector as in that guy or girl that you no matter what happens will also answer the phone and come help yeah. you yeah madison in the beginning of the bosch was you know how is it is to be a father with a complex family life and balancing mm -hmm. work and all of that and so if you take those main characters and put it on the grid you can kind of see what they represent and i think that is something that happens in legacy as well. But mm -hmm. now we have three main characters. We need to find kind of those as if we want to refine Money Chandler's life, we need to get to know her family and her frenemy that might not be directly connected to Bosch. Mm -hmm. So I mean, this is this is how I think we approach everything. And especially, you know, our very brilliant writers with Eric Tom and Chris and everyone else is like, this is where they always think on, like, if we want to go to the depth with this character, what do we need? Do we need okay. to character? Well, I like that, that you didn't have a specific framework in mind for them. Like you did let it just kind of happen organically, but they're, but by doing that, it, the outcome is that they kind of fit into these really nice spots, you know, in the story. No, but I, I think so it's like every, every good show, has those it's almost or they are archetypes i mean if you look mm -hmm. at sopranos you look like at the wires like there is these protagonist antagonist frenemies like they all they need to exist in order to drive a good drama mm -hmm. yeah and then some of them in our show and other shows you cast someone it doesn't really work but someone else and again jamie hector when he came in jay edgar was just there we didn't know that he was mm -hmm. going to like that huge part of that show but you get an actor who walks in and he's like holy crap this mm -hmm. is we can write to this yeah yeah for sure well i want to drop a little shout out for the character of matthew we've talked about him on the podcast and we we like him and we'd like to see more of him he's uh you know he's sharp but it's more of a quiet 
kind of way. And I don't think we've really seen a character exactly like that before. And I think it would fun be fun to to see more of him. So that's yeah, just no, I, two I cents. That, <laughs> no, but I, I think that's also, you know, the slight difference between legacy and, and the traditional Bosch. We have a bigger room to kind of like find characters that not necessarily would have fit in into the traditional show. And now mm -hmm. we're something likely like we can expand the universe and we can yeah. find those like Matthew and I agree is great and there's other ones that is like yeah this one he or she could be great to build something around we yeah. have we're still figuring out the legacy universe right right yeah there's, there's so much room yeah for sure well what are you most proud of with the spinoff after the first season that it's very easy that I would say at least based on the reactions I get or read or get that I would say 99% of the people that love Bosch, mm -hmm. love Bosch Legacy, that yeah. we were able to retain that first from the books into the original TV show, then from that TV show into a new version. And like all the people I think that likes the books, likes the show and so forth. That That is because that's always the the challenge and the scare that you will yeah. bump some people by making changes. And at the same time, which is also interesting, I think we managed to get, or I know we managed to get, because you get these surveys and stuff like that from the network, that we managed to bring in a new audience, especially slightly mm -hmm. younger, some females yeah. that you know, can relate to Madison and what she's mm -hmm. going through. So that, like sure. we, we didn't lose anyone, but we added people. And that yeah. as a filmmaker or TV maker is like kind of the holy grail when you do Yeah, for sure. So th th that's definitely what I'm most happy slash proud about. Okay. Now, what's something that you think that works well from the original Bosch, perhaps Bosch Legacy, one or both, that can translate something successful about them, the way you do it, that or write it, that can translate really to any production and any genre? Is there... There's something that's just that works that you could apply to other productions. Well, then we get into more. If I were to answer that, it's like more on how we actually approach production, how we see this as an enterprise or as a company, how we actually on a day to day basis make sure that every dollar that we have at our disposal disposal is used to end up on screen that, you know, mm -hmm. every detail is there. And that all comes from, which I'm a big proponent of, a very rigid pre-production planning. Again, talking about, and sometimes to ad nauseum, like about scenarios, like what if we do this? What if we do that? So you, you're very square in your pre-production, in your preparations. Mm -hmm. And then once you have thought and gone through as many scenarios you can and it's time to execute you're well prepared to shift around because that happens right. in any type of tea production it's like holy that day rained out but what mm -hmm. if we do this so okay surrounding yourself by people that are a good people nice to be around because you spend an awful lot of time with mm -hmm. these people over mm -hmm. a significant portion of the year that yeah you know, it's just like a nice place to be around uh sure. And then really, really planning, planning ahead. And then, so you you have a solid execution. I think that okay. if we look to other productions, we, we we kind of look back at what, why did Bosch, because Bosch runs as a very tight clock. You've been on set. Like you mm -hmm. see that it's, it's a well-oiled machinery. People yes. yell at each other. We don't have, you know, every production has its problem. It's like we have a minimum of friction. 
And yeah. I think that shows up on screen. And one thing that's fascinating to me, and it, it's may cross productions in general, but the 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 lack of having to talk about what's next. Like everybody just knows, you know, and they just pack up their stuff, they move, they change. <laughs> Any well-oiled TV show should know that. And that goes back yeah. to it's like you have, we know what we're gonna do hopefully three weeks in advance, which day we're going to do what and all that, like meticulous mm -hmm. planning. And that, you know, again, goes back to pre-production that the writers can start writing in a timely manner and they have the opportunity to rewrite the scripts. And so we have a finished product. Once we start shooting, then me as a producer calls Tom and bitches and moans like, why are you not ready about it? Then he calls me and yells and says like, well, we never have time to do what I want and all that. Like, but that goes with the territory. But some shows like have to rewrite like up to the day you start shooting for different reasons. And that's not optimal. The more you are prepared and how the more material you have in advance, the, the easier time and the better time you're going to have on set. And that, I think, is what takes it from because then if you're just there and like you're scrambling all the time, you mm -hmm. never have the time to like, OK, let's just take a moment. Have we optimized this? Like, do we have the perfect location for this? Do we do we have, have does Tim Marsha have time to really look that all the cops look like cops should do like mm -hmm. whereas if you're scrambling like it's good enough, let's just get on with it. So I right, think that, right. that that is what I take from when we do other shows. Let's try to mimic this way of working as far as it's possible. That makes sense. Well, speaking of other shows, I've looked at some of the things you all have in the works. What appeals to you most about book adaptations? I, many things. A, because I love reading books. And I think mm -hmm. once you find a book, and at least for me, that's how I work. I can read a book and it's like, oh, this would be a great film or a great TV show. You just like feel that there's something there that is, for me, it's usually that it's a very strong depiction of a physical location like Los Angeles in Michael's books, or it has a very defined setting. So you, you can kind of see it in your head. And I usually think if I can see it in your head, then the buyers as in the network i can mm -hmm. probably the picture for them so like i think what it gives you an adaptation from a book or from a tv show from another country is like you can sit with a number of people ranging from the network to writers and kind of say like are we seeing this the same way if it's just okay. an idea an idea could be very esoteric like i mm -hmm. can interpret the idea of doing a show about you know looking at the street you're about a guy who has a taco truck like as one version, it could be dark, it could be funny, but if you have seen, there's a book about it, we can all read, it's like, yeah, this a is reference. a reference, yeah. It's a funny book, like there's jokes in it, it's yeah. like, then, then we know it's a comedy. So okay. I think that the, that common reference point that you get out of having read the same material, then you, you can still have your own interpretation of it, but like it gives you common ground as you start developing it. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, not knowing the inner workings of a production company, just trying to learn a little bit uh, about it. For instance, how is there, like, I don't even know if you could do a percentage, but I'm like wondering how many projects actually make it to screen? Like, does the, <laughs> does the production company look at a lot of stuff and it's, oh, yeah. it's filtered oh, yeah. through? I, mean, I would say, and it depends on company to company, but like if you probably develop on the ratio one to 10 in terms of, and that's ideas that get sold to the network. And then you get into development with the network. And then you get into another like one to 20 development of like mm -hmm. ratio for it actually to go all the way and become a pilot or become a series. Like the, 
I actually read some survey of that, that, and this is a couple of years back, but I think each year, I can't remember the numbers, but I think it was like for network television, there was like 4,000 projects in some type of development uh-huh. that ended up being a hundred pilots. And out of that 15 became a show and two of those got like a second season. Something like like, but yeah. I don't know exactly now. Right, like, but that gives you an idea. Like, like that is yeah. there's there's no I think there's no other business in the world that has such abysmal R and D and like research and development to success yeah. rate as mm-hmm. it's probably this and like cancer research or something like that. Like God, mm-hmm. the number of projects that you have developed that you felt like this is up perfect idea like this will sell <laughs> it will become a like emmy winner is like and it's like oh it didn't go anywhere wow yeah and again why a big book enterprise like michael connelly's world is a unicorn because mm-hmm. it comes especially these days it comes with a built-in audience for networks mm-hmm. how do you make a dent in the media noise that is out there how do you promote something well being able to sell this gentleman has written books for the last 30 years they've sold 100 million copies he has you know this fan base that will mm-hmm. watch anything that he you know that's a big yeah. thing yeah you have a built-in endorsement so yes that's awesome that's awesome um, tell me a little bit about the production company's role, like as a unit, as a company versus someone who is an EP, an individual that's, you know, executive producing on a project, just to understand a little bit more about what the production company does versus yeah, one and, person. And, and I, I think we're somewhat in a very small circle of companies that work the way we work on Bosch, because usually or most here in the United States, it's different you know, in, the, in Britain or in Sweden, where I'm from. But here in the U.S., it's often like you have an executive producer who might have a production company, a label that's called something, and you come up with an idea developing, then you go and sell it to a big studio like Warner Brothers or CBS, or you go straight to Netflix and stuff like that. And you mm-hmm. develop the idea together with them. But once the times for production, the network or the studio is the one that actually nuts to bolts, put everything together, who does the budgets, okay. who hire all the people and who are responsible on a day-to-day basis for running. Okay. We as a company on, not on every production, but on Bosch and on a couple of others, we mm-hmm. are actually that entity that hires all these hundreds of people and put it together in a very physical capacity. I think we're somewhat unique there and in our collaboration with Amazon Studios that we have their their blessing to be the physical producers of the show, which is comes with challenges because you bear the fiscal responsibility if something goes wrong to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But what it gives you is creative strength and creative freedom that we are, depending if we hire the team the electricians or the grip like it is up to us to hire the people we want working on the show if i am an ep when we did you know or in that show the other year a couple of years back for cbs all access interrogation great experience but that was cbs all access i didn't have a say in who they would hire as okay. a grip crew they had gotcha. so like it was not saying that that grip crew was bad not at all but like it is not up to me to pick them, which means uh-huh. that even if it was my idea that I developed or we developed here at Fable, like we had no say over the actual execution. Okay. Whereas Bosch, it's up to us. Okay. So, okay. Wow. All right. 
Um, would you, I mean, obviously like Bosch, Bosch Legacy, that needs to be in LA. LA is a character in the story and it's, it's so important. Would you, would Fabo consider taking a production to Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, we, the, the last show we did was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. True, yeah, okay, with interrogation. Yeah, yeah. so okay. that was shot there. We do shows, we're looking at one show right now that probably will shoot in Miami. So like, we'll, you know, LA, I think the important thing is if you're going to shoot a show that is so centric around a specific location as Bosch and Los Angeles, you need to shoot it here. Uh, if you're going to shoot a show that is grounded in the streets of New York, you need to at least to a big extent shoot in New York. Then you can, some cities are easier to fudge than others. Like New York, you can actually shoot pretty good in Vancouver. Chicago okay. can be shot for Vancouver. Um Seattle and so like there's some place that can but it's hard to shoot an LA set show in Atlanta because Atlanta looks nothing oh like yeah that. right right but then there are shows like if you're going to do a big sci-fi show that's going to be shot to a certain degree on green screen or something like that then you look for where do we get the most bang for the buck sure so. sure yeah okay a lot of sure. factors to consider yeah can you talk a little bit about diversity on and off screen just kind of you all's approach to yeah that and I think it's interesting. I think a couple of years back, I posted this picture of like our cast. We have this board where we put all the people up that are actors. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was like this mosaic of like not intentionally. Like it's not like we set out like, oh, we have to have one of this ethnicity. It needs to be a mm -hmm. Swede and an African-American or a person of Latino descent. Like, but we're doing a show about Los Angeles. So that board looks like a mosaic because we wanted the accuracy of the city. And I think, sure. you know, starting there, if you're portraying a city like Los Angeles, that is very far from homogenous, it's the opposite. Like everyone here is from somewhere else almost. Like mm -hmm. then that becomes, if you do it right, should be a fair representation and you know i think mm -hmm. so, so that's the first approach and then i think you know we it's always hard but we have strived that amazon has been really good very early on in the run of boss they say we want a 50 50 50 representation on male and female in our directors and writers room and you know mm -hmm. that came as a mandate and i'm actually first who's like because the hard truth is there of course because of the world how it's looked for the last hundred years in a movie business there are way more male than female directors mm -hmm. because that's unfortunately how the the, the business yeah. started so like it becomes a challenge for me as a producer to find these women's but if mm -hmm. the matter is put to me now we have some of our best directors are females that came in early and just like kicked the shit out of the old boys club and are yeah. so good um yeah. you know Hogger Ben Asher from Israel, Haifa, uh, who's in this season, um, you know, just a string of excellent female directors. So we work hard at it. And mm -hmm. we, okay. and also, like, not only feel female versus male or ethnicity, is also, I think, very important to get young people in. Because, like, if mm -hmm. you're going to strive to get to equal representation, then you need to let young people in and give them a break mm -hmm. and that's also where it gets hard because by the end of the day you're running a business like you want to take a shot at someone who hasn't really done it before like you hand over like a 60 million dollar 
production, like, hey, each episode costs like between five and six million dollars. Like, do we take a flyer on this? And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like you have to get out of your comfort zone. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But okay. I think I hope that we have and continue to do, we strive hard to to break to break that. We, you know, again, especially with casting on a show like Bosch, uh, we have, we're fortunate enough to have Vicky Thomas, who's one of the best in the business general. She also have, happened to be uh, someone who's been very, very successful in launching a lot of African-American okay. great actors' careers. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we got her to do Legacy. That was a big, like, she brings in the best people. I mean, she okay. found Chang, um, who's, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, we try to do our best. Can we, you can always do better, but I think mm-hmm. we have a, also because the show is shot here in LA. Right. So mm-hmm. we Ooh. have, yeah. <laughs> Especially when it comes to nationality. I, I, it's like, yeah, it, it's hard to press to find not, probably we don't have someone from Iceland on the show, but other than that, we pretty much have people. Yeah. Like, representing every corner of the world yeah yeah no and you do for sure um well i think you have another commitment so i I don't want to keep you much longer but i did want to make my annual plea for bringing renee ballard to the screen so just got to put that in there and without saying too much i'm not saying too much but okay okay might be doing like this yeah it's okay to be a little maybe hopeful okay okay we'll take that and then just my final question, of course, obviously without spoiling anything, how would you like to tease season two of Legacy at this point? Well, it starts, if you saw the first one, if, let me do an anecdote. So okay, my wife was a big, you know, she loves Bosch for all, because she knows everyone, Michael and Titus and everyone, but she also really yeah. likes the show. It's her kind of show. Okay. She was so pissed when we got to the last episode. Uh-huh. You were going to tell me what happened. Like, where is she? And it's like, uh-huh. no, you have to wait and all that. <laughs> and then we, I showed her a picture okay. from set where Maddie, it's hard to tell if Madison or Maddie was alive or dead. Okay. And she got even more pissed at me. So mm-hmm. he's this with, you won't know until you know, till you've seen it, but the, especially it starts with two episodes that are, I would put them at the top three of all the episodes we've ever done in the Bosch universe. And that's just the start. So that's okay. how we're teasing. Okay. No, that's a great tease. I, I mean, that gets you really excited, really yes. anticipating. So for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I love your stories and all the insights you have to share. So really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all you do for us and, you know, helping get the show and Conley's uh, world out there to the fans. Yeah. Thank oh, you to all the it's fans. It's a pleasure. We love Bye. it. All right. Take care, Henrik. Bye. Bye.